Today we finish it. Today we are going to finish with our study in the book of Exodus. We're in chapter 20, of course. What have we learned so far in our examination of the Ten Commandments, in our examination of the Decalogue? We have learned how to relate to God in reverent fear and worship. That God is a God who desires our complete devotion, our complete attention, and that we don't put any idols, any things of the world in our place of devotion to Him. We can't commit ourselves to this thing and that thing and then give the spare time to God. God wants to be the center of everything that we do. Then when we have other times, we can spend it on those things. We've also learned how to live in a community where we are our brother's keeper. That was the question Cain asked, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, yes, you are. You are your brother's keeper because we are a community. We are connected. Uh, Paul says when one person in the church hurts, all people in the church hurt. I think about the families who have lost people this week, who have lost children, who've lost grandparents to the cold. I think about the one woman on television. Uh, Her husband was in the house with no electricity and his air machine had stopped working. So he went out to the truck to get another air machine and he, he sat in the truck to turn it off for some heat and she went out and he had passed away in the cold of hypothermia. And I think about the pain and the suffering that brings and when people like that hurt in our community, we hurt as well. We also know that it means that we have to treat others the way we would have ourselves treated. We look at the way people have helped this week. Have you seen the, the brewery uh, in, in, in Houston? They, they usually make beer and it's a pub. And so they shut all that down and they turned their kettles into making boiled water, into serving food to the community. Not only that, they put out tables and people from the community could bring food to that place to give to anybody who wanted it. People, instead of staying home and taking care of themselves, have been going out of their way to take care of other people. Not just the Alex Bregmans, not just the famous players, not just the wealthy, but just regular, everyday, ordinary people helping each other out. That is the very living example of what the Ten Commandments are talking about, how we treat each other. We only have one last question to ask ourselves, one last set of verses to look at. And it's going to ask this question. If these Ten Commandments show us how to relate to God, they show us how to relate to our fellow man, why are people afraid of it? Why are people afraid of the Ten Commandments? Why do they not like it? Why do they want to take it down when it's in a public building? Why do they want to take it off the walls of courthouses? Why do they want to take it out of the Congress? What is wrong with the Ten Commandments? Why are we so afraid? We're going to answer that question today right here. Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. Why are people afraid of the Ten Commandments? This is why. This is what it says. All the people witnessed the thunder and lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountains surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it was... When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses, but don't let God speak to us or we will die. Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and that you will not sin. And the people remained standing at a distance as Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. An amazing reaction. If you ask me, I look at this and I go, how is it that God could speak audibly in the sound of trumpets and thunder? He could appear in smoke and fire and they could see the glory and the power and the majesty of God. Remember, when they left Egypt, 
They followed the fire by night and the cloud by day. They saw God literally go before them to lead them to this mountain. When they were stuck at the Red Sea, when they were confronted by Pharaoh's army, it was the power of God who moved behind them and blocked the Egyptians. It was God who opened the Red Sea. When they were in the desert and they were thirsty, it was God who said to Moses, hit that rock and out of the rock came water. Do you know that in Saudi Arabia, right now at the mountain of God, Jabal Allah's, there is a stone, a massive, massive stone sitting on the plain. And that, that rock has a crack in it. It has a crack right down the center to the middle point. And do you know that that stone shows water erosion? Now think about this. It's the bloody desert. There's no water in the desert. And how could the middle of this stone be worn away by water unless God had caused water to come out of the stone and flow out to the people? Physical evidence that everything the Bible says is absolutely true and accurate. It's there. We're just not allowed to see it. When the people were hungry, what did God do? He brought them manna. Manna from heaven that was like bread. It was like coriander seed. It could be ground up and turned into flour. He gave them food. And when the food wasn't good enough, when they griped to God, God, how come we only have bread? He gave them quail. And they would gather the quail. They would gather this manna from heaven. The, he had provided everything for them. And now here they are, and they're still afraid of the God who has given them so much. We've all come through a terrible week. We've come through a really bad week. It was cold. It was dark. There was no water. People were struggling and suffering, and yet God has brought us through it. Yet is anybody in this house today worshiping him? Are people in this house today praising him, giving him glory, crediting him with bringing them through? Yeah, God answers in the form of friends who take you into their home and they feed you and they keep you warm and they give you water. That's a blessing. But the blessing of those friends comes from God. Amen? Ultimately, all good things come from the Lord. He puts people in our lives who bless us. Now think about that. And we look at this and we go, why are they afraid? I'll give it to you this way. People fear three things in the word of God, three things in the law of God, three aspects of the Ten Commandments. Here's the one thing that they fear. They fear the certainty of truth. They fear the certainty of truth. Now, in this day and age, when we look on the Internet, when we listen to the news, don't you listen kind of skeptically to what the people on the news are telling you? Someone says, blah, 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 yada, 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 thing, thing, thing. And we go, I don't know if that's true or not. How do I know? But here they are at the mountain of God. It says they witnessed the smoke. They witnessed the thunderings. They witnessed the trumpet sound. There was no doubt among any of them that this was Yahweh presenting himself to them. You see, once you have seen the thing, you can't unsee it. Once you have seen something dreadful, something terrible, you can't not just forget it. You can't just see, oh, there's God. Wow, look at all of this happening on the mountain. Here's the Red Sea. Here's the plagues on Egypt. Oh, you know what? I'm just going to forget everything I just saw. Can you forget something as wonderful as the birth of a child? 
I'll tell you, you can't forget that. You cannot forget the birth of a child. If you're there, you witness it, you see it. It's the most amazing thing you've ever seen in your life. Can I get an amen from somebody, please? Because the birth of a child is an amazing, amazing thing. And once you see that little baby come to life, once you see them breathe and cry for the first time, you don't ever forget that. It changes your life. That's why you have a single person and a single person, and those two single people get together, and they are a couple. But then comes the child, and the child turns husband and wife into mom and dad. And it's a life-altering experience, amen? That's just the truth of it. These people were slaves. Let me show you. Exodus 14, 10 through 14. Exodus 14, 10 through 14. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and beheld the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to Yahweh. They said to Moses, is it because there was no grave in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Now, where's faith? Where's the faith? They've seen the ten plagues on Egypt. They heard the cries of parents whose firstborn died in the night. If you've ever heard the cry of a parent who loses a child, you won't forget that. It changes your world. These people in Egypt lost their firstborn, their most precious. And they heard those cries in the night. And it was those cries that set them free. They knew what God had done. They said this, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? They're standing, they're standing before God. And what are they talking about? Is not this what we want to... Okay. Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he has begun to work in you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Yahweh will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. So they're standing at the, at the cusp of the Red Sea. The Egyptians are behind them. God has moved the pillar of cloud behind them, blocking the Egyptians. They can't come through. They can't attack. Yet they're crying to go back into slavery. They're crying to go back into a place where they are no longer free. I think people fear the knowledge, the certainty of God, because if you know there is a God, you can't walk away from that. If you know that there is a God, you cannot simply turn your back and live your life any way you please. Amen? Do you see what I'm saying? The thing is this. When you see that there is a God, you have only two choices. Run away from him or run to him. And that's the choice that people face. When you remove doubt, when you have this certainty this certainty of truth, it messes with your head. And I think that's why people don't like the Ten Commandments. They can look at it. They see that it works. They see that it keeps a civilization together. They see that it keeps people in community. But they don't like it because if there's a God, now you're not in charge of your own life. Now you can't do anything you please. You have to be subservient to God. You see, they were slaves in Egypt. Their masters beat them and killed them. Now they are servants of a holy God who saves them, who feeds them, who waters them. 
It's a big difference. But sometimes it would rather go back to what you know. Oh, if I can just turn my back on God, I can go back and live any way I want to live. I can do anything I want to do. I can say anything I want to say. So many people, when they come face to face with the holiness of God, they are overwhelmed and they would rather run back into the darkness. And that's exactly where we are today. We see the truth, but we run away from the truth because we don't like the power that it brings into our life. So the first aspect they don't like, the certainty of truth. Once you know the truth, you can't run away from it. The second thing I want you to see here is this, the certainty of expectation. If you know that God has 10 laws, 10 absolute laws, 10 laws that you must obey, that you must live by, then you know what must be done in your life. When you're on your own, you know, when you're a young man, you get out from under mom and dad, you go out in the world, you've got a job, you can live any way you want to, right? You're paying the bills, you're taking care of the apartment, you've got your job, you can live any way you want to live. But here's the problem. You can never leave God. You can leave mom and dad, but you can't leave God. Even if you try, he is still looking at you day and night, night and day. The believer has the Holy Spirit inside them, amen? That Holy Spirit is going to be like a knife in the heart. You're not doing what you should be doing. You're not living the way you should live. You should be doing what God said. Look at those six commandments you're ignoring. When you ignore your fellow man, when you take care of only you, yourself, and you, then you're ignoring six out of the ten commandments. And actually, you're ignoring all ten because when you become your own God, that's idolatry. That's idol worship. You're worshiping your own idea of freedom. He said, don't let us hear God speak. Now, this is important. He says, don't let God speak to us. Don't let us hear him speak. Why? Because when God speaks, you cannot mistake it. Once God has come to you personally in salvation, once you hear Christ call you to salvation, call you to a relationship with him, you cannot do anything but respond to it. When God calls you to that personally, you can't explain it away. Many people say in church, and this is my favorite thing they always say, they say, well, that's just the pastor's interpretation. Well, that's just what your Bible says. That's just what you think. Well, guess what? You don't have to worry about what I think. You can open any of a dozen translations of the Bible, except for the ones held by whack jobs and, and, and kooks out there who rewrite their own Bible. Heck, you can go to any reputable university in the world. You can go to Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth, Brown, University of Houston, or even the blessed HBU, Houston Baptist University. Thank you, alma mater. You can go there, and you know what you can take? You can take Hebrew classes. You can go to the nearest Jewish synagogue and take Hebrew classes. You can go there and take Greek classes. I took Greek at Houston Baptist University. You know why you take Greek or Hebrew? Then you sit down with a Hebrew Bible or a Greek Bible, and word by word, you can dissect the Word of God and know exactly what it says. No questions, nobody else's interpretation. Greek is a very specific language. Hebrew is very clear in what it says. So you see, that's why they don't read the Bible. 
If they read it, they have to do something about it. If I see that God expects me to be my brother's keeper, if God expects me to do unto others in the same way I would have them do to me, if I see that, if I know it, not from the pastor, not from mom and dad, but from the word of God, I have no choice but to either obey or willingly disobey. God came to Cain. He said, Cain, aren't you, aren't you your brother's keeper? Aren't you doing what you're supposed to? And, and he just says, am I my brother's keeper? Really? And, and God said, look, sin is laying at your feet like a snake curled up by your door. One time my uncle lived in Arizona. He got up in the morning when he first got there and he went to put his feet in his boots. Does anybody see a problem already? You never put your feet in your boots in the desert without doing what? Turn them upside down, shake them out. Sure enough, shook him out. He had scorpions in both boots. Scorpions can't kill you, but they can make you sick as a dog. I mean, if you are a grown person, they'll make you sick as a dog. If you're a small child, you'll die. Why? Because they're hiding in your boots for the warmth. They're hiding inside your boots. Sin is hiding inside our lives, waiting for some way to strike us. Hey, you don't have to listen to God. Hey, you don't have to listen to mom and dad. Hey, you don't have to listen to the boss. You can just do anything you want to do. It won't hurt you. Hey, eat that apple, Eve. You're not going to die. You're not. It didn't kill her that minute. But ultimately, she died because she was thrown out of the garden, cut off from the tree of life. So you see, what God said is true. You will die. Satan just perverted it a little bit. Oh, you're not going to die yet. That's what he meant. And that's the important thing. You have to watch it. He says, so it says right here in Genesis 3, 1 through 4. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now this is an important lesson, people. Pay attention. He said, didn't, did God really say? Anytime Satan can make you doubt the word of God, then he's got you. There are churches out there that say, you know what? The Bible is a great book if we understand it correctly. We have to throw out this, throw out this, throw out that. We got to change this meaning, and then we have a good Bible. All they do is they pull the truth out, and they give you the lie that makes you feel good. Did God really say you can't eat of everything, anything in the, in, the, in the garden? Now, you see, what's interesting is we know that God told who? Adam. So who told Eve? Adam. Look at what she says. This is interesting. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. That's what he said. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Ooh, she added something there. She added, neither shall you touch it. Is that what God said to Adam? No. Now, there's nothing wrong with, with, with uh, what she said because what she meant is, I don't even want to hold it in my hands. Because sometimes when something is forbidden to you, like when you're a kid and, and your mother says, don't eat that cookie, what do you do? You walk over, you touch the cookie. You pick the cookie up and you look at it. 
You take that cookie and smell it. Take that cookie and lick it up. You didn't need it, though. You didn't need it. You didn't break the letter of the law. But what's going to happen after you lick that cookie? What are you going to do? You're going to eat it. Because you're playing with it. You're playing with something. I didn't lie. I promise I didn't lie. No, I didn't eat that cookie. Okay, I picked it up and I touched it and I smelled it and I licked it, but I didn't eat it. See, that's a lie. It's a half lie. And the half lie is always a full lie. Amen? Can I get amen on that? We play that game with God. God, I really didn't do this. I kind of only did that. No. You were playing around with it. See, and Eve, in pushing it just that little bit, gave Satan the ability to cause her to doubt, to cause her not to believe. Consider Acts 4, 19 through 20. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to, to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Ah, now we're back to it. You see, the certainty of expectation is this. Satan plays the game of wanting to change the words, wanting to change the expectations. But here in Acts, Peter and John are honest. Hey, you decide if it's right for us to say what God says. But as for us, what? We can only tell you what we have seen and heard. That's how the Christian needs to live their life. We don't have to explain the word of God. We don't have to be all a bunch of professors or a bunch of apologists or a bunch of people who know every jot and tittle and every word and inflection. Bible says, do unto others as you have them do unto you. What's so hard about that? All Peter and John did was say what they had seen and heard. If you're in church and you're reading the word of God, if you're at home and you're watching a Christian video or a Christian uh, film, a documentary, whatever, nothing wrong with sticking to what you know, what you've seen and heard. A lot of times people will ask me that question, what do you think about, give the subject. You know what my first thing is? Well, I don't have to tell you what I think because what I think doesn't matter. I can tell you what God's word says. You do that instantly, your hands are clean. Now, people who try to say, well, it seems to me, or, you know, I feel like, or, you know, I think it would be okay if, no. Nobody wants to hear your opinion. I mean, I'm sorry to say that, right, because, you know, I'm a very opinionated person. But really, when people ask me questions, they know I'm a pastor. They know what they're going to get. I won't tell you what it says. I don't have to tell you what I think, mainly because most of my thinking was shot in 1969. It hasn't come back since, you know, but I can tell you what this says. I can read it to you. Okay, well, sometimes I can read it to you. Sometimes my reading is not that good. But I can tell you what the words are, and I can tell you what it meant then, and I can tell you what it means now. And then I leave you with this certainty of what God expects from you. Now, how you deal with that is up to you. Whatever game you choose to play with God's word is up to them. It's up to those in the world who want to play that game. But that's why they hate the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments doesn't give wiggle room. It doesn't give you room to play the I think, I feel game. It's always been that way. The last one I want you to see is this. And the words are shocking. He says, don't let God talk to us, please, because if he does, we will die.
There's that echo of what God said to Adam and Eve in the garden. You eat of that fruit, you're going to die. It may take a lifetime to kill you, but it's going to kill you. Look at this. The certainty of judgment. When God gives his word, he puts it there in plain and white. When he said to, you know, honor your mother and father, right? Honor your mother and father, what? That it may go well with you, that you may live long on the earth, that they may not kill you and put you in a shallow grave. I'm just kidding, that part's not in the Bible. That's just my interpretation stuck in there. Here's the thing. Honor your mother and father. Why? It's the first relationship that we all have. There's a judgment that comes when you violate relationships. There's a Bible preacher that I love, and he has passed away. And I've just heard this week that now charges have been filed against him for improper behavior. This was a, a great, wonderful teacher of God's word, and he was an amazing man, and, and I, I, I love and respected what he did in the pulpit because what he said in that pulpit was true. His personal life was a wreck. His personal life went right down the toilet. In the, his personal life, he did things and, that he should never have done. He was in places he should never have been. But you know what? That's between him and God. That's between him and God. God will judge. It's not my place. It's not my place to judge. I can say that what he did was wrong. I can say that what he was about was messed up because he wouldn't take responsibility for his actions. But he's gone now. He's, he's dead now. He can't answer for anything he did. But the people in this ministry have taken responsibility and they're going to try and make things right with the people that he hurt. And, and I look at this. People knew that if they did not want to keep the law of Yahweh, that they were going to be convicted because they were guilty because God said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven images. You cannot steal or lie or murder or cheat. He sets out very clear expectations. And to us, the Ten Commandments are so basic. They're so foundational to everything a culture believes. But they knew that if they heard God say it, uh, they were going to be convicted of those sins, convicted of what they had done. So what do they do? Hey, Moses, you know, God's kind of being heavy handed. Why don't I just ignore everything I just saw on the mountain, ignore everything I heard? Moses, why don't you tell me what God wants and, 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 and leave God out of this? No, no. You can hear me talk and blabber on all day long. You don't have to listen to me. I'm just me. You know, I'm just Richard. I'm just a person standing in this pulpit trying to explain the word of God. But if you go home and you pray on this and you read it and you take it inside you, you can ignore me all day long. When I was a teacher, my students ignored me all day long. Okay, you can ignore me, but when God speaks, you can't ignore it. You can't ignore what you've seen. There, there, there's a great line from an old movie, and this person was a vampire fighter, you know, a vampire, you know, defeater. And, and she says, I've seen the things that go bump in the night. She, mean, she meant vampires and demons and stuff. She said, once you've seen them, you can't ignore them. 
You can't pretend they're not there. When God speaks, you can't ignore him. You cannot ignore those 10 words, those 10 commandments, those 10 calls to a covenant relationship. You can't ignore it. Consider this. Genesis 3, 17 through 19. To Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. God told them, you're going to die if you eat of that tree. They did it. Notice Eve took the fruit and ate it first. I always blame Adam. He was standing right there. He watched her do it. And when she didn't die right away, he joined in that sin. Eve was deceived. Adam chose what he did. That's why we see that curse coming down in Adam's name. And it's amazing to me because God always follows through on judgment. And he has told us that one day he will judge the living and the dead. And his judgment is absolute. His judgment is unquestioning. Whether you are consigned to the flames of hell itself or you are welcomed into the gates of heaven, that judgment is final. Jesus tells the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus broke with boils on his body and the dogs are licking his sores. And it's a disgusting picture of a man who's ridden with disease. And the wealthy man sits up there with every luxury in the world and has everything he needs. Fast forward, both of them die. The man who lived in misery but was faithful to God is seated by Abraham in that paradise. And the man who was wealthy and, and, and successful and rich and fat and happy, he is sitting in absolute misery. You know why he's miserable? Because he knew every day of his life he heard the word of God. He heard the name of Yahweh spoken. And never once did he turn to the God of Israel to save him of his sins. And everyone who comes before Jesus is not going to make an excuse. He's going to say guilty. And they are going to say, yes, we are. Because every single person who stands before God Almighty on the day of judgment will know that they are guilty. They are not guilty because they don't know the name of Jesus. They are not guilty because they didn't grow up in a Western country where that name is preached. They are guilty because they have sinned against the eternal ten words of God. It is by those ten commandments he will judge the earth. And that's the whole thing. The name of Jesus is just the parole. The guilt is yours because you have sinned. You have lied. You have cheated. You have stolen. You have ranted against your fellow man. Whatever you've done. Jesus is the parole that takes the man in the electric chair. And they're about to throw that switch. The governor calls and says, you know what? His sentence is commuted. Let him go. That's us. We all deserve to die in that chair. We deserve to die in that chair. Jesus is the one who saves us. See, and that's what, that's what amazes me. 
what is the truth of the Ten Commandments? What is the ultimate truth of the Ten Commandments? I'll tell you what it is. Moses says, look, God wants to test you. You know what the word test means? How many of you like ancient history? Remember back in the day when the, uh, the guys would go out into the gold fields or the silver mines and they would work and they would bring out gold dust or, or silver or whatever? What would you do with all that metal? You would take it to the assay office. And then the assay office, the person sitting back there with weights and with measures and stuff would tell you the purity of what you had and would tell you the worth of what you had. What Moses was saying at the end of the Ten Commandments was God desires to assay you. He desires to evaluate the purity of your substance. He wants to evaluate the purity of your devotion to him. A lot of people do things out of guilt. But guilt is not the reason to do things. Love is the reason to do things. Love is the thing that motivates us, that drives us, that pushes us forward. You know, let's put it this way. Family is rough. Can I get an amen from somebody? Family is rough, whether it's parents and children, whether it's brothers and sisters, whether it's aunts, uncles, cousins, grandparents, whoever. Living in a family is rough. Man, it's just, you don't always agree. But the test of your familyness is how you deal with each other, how you forgive each other, how you are reconciled to each other. And that's what he says here. Exodus 16, 4 through 6. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may assay them, that I may test them, evaluate them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when you prepare for what you will bring in, you will bring in twice as much as you gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to the people, At evening you shall know it was Yahweh who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You see, you couldn't gather bread on Sunday, well, on the Sabbath day, on the Sabbath day. But so on, on the day before the Sabbath, you gathered twice as much. Now, if you gathered anything more than one day's portion, and it says this in the book of Exodus, people would gather extra, and whatever they ate that day was eaten, and whatever they kept over turned to maggots. It turned, it turned to rot. It, it was no good the next day. It was a miraculous food. It wasn't natural. So God said, every day you gather for what you need that day. Then on the sixth day, you gather twice as much because you can't work on the Sabbath. You can't gather on the Sabbath. There won't be anything. God will not send this manna from heaven on the Sabbath day because you've gathered twice as much the day before. God set this as a way of evaluating their faithfulness. Would they trust God for every day? That's our question. Do we trust God for every day? You know, we get up sometimes in the morning and there's no power. And you get up the next day and there's no water. And so what do you do? You cry out to your friends and say, can I come stay with you for a while? Yes, good. You know, you have heat, you have warmth, you have light. Every day we get up, we should be crying out to God. God, I need strength today so that I don't steal. I need strength today so that I don't covet what other people have. Because if I covet, I'm basically saying, God, you're not good enough to me. 
And if anyone ever says that to God with a straight face, I pity them. God will show them what it means for him not to be good to them. The Ten Commandments build a relationship that the Israelites were to have with each other, but also the relationship they were to have with God. God would provide, but they had to trust him. They had to trust him. That's why when Achan took the silk and took the the money, he was showing he did not trust God because he would not give to God what was God's. He was stealing. The Ten Commandments make people in America in 2021 nervous because they know that they can't do it. They can't live up to it. That's why Paul says, by the works of the law, no flesh is justified in God's sight. The Ten Commandments are to hold us guilty of our sin. The Ten Commandments don't make us right. They don't make us right before God. The Pharisees didn't get it. The Pharisees thought, if I keep all 660-some laws, I am good. No. The Ten Commandments show you you're wrong. That's why God provided the sacrificial system. People would have to sacrifice a valuable animal, sacrifice the money to buy a valuable animal so that when that animal was sacrificed, they would understand that sin costs us. Then he gives us the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus. And Jesus becomes the one payment for all. But every day of our lives, we look to that payment. And when we know we can't do it, when we know we can't keep the Ten Commandments, when we know we're not where we should be, and I've been there a lot of times, When we know we're not where we should be, then we know how to get it right. First, we go to God. We are reconciled to our Father. We beg his forgiveness and his cleansing. And then whatever's happened, we go and we make it right. We take care of life. I told you a few weeks ago, churches have split over the things that people do. Churches have split, as we found in the last couple weeks, over the things that pastors do. In the case of, of, this, of this wonderful preacher that I loved and respected, and now I know so much about him that's terrible, I can still respect what he said. I cannot respect what he did. You know, And I, 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 my compassion and my love go out to his family. They don't need to be judged for what he did. They don't need to be judged for the actions he took. How many famous evangelists have stolen coveted, adulterized, and they get off the airways for a little bit and we pat them on the back and we send them back on TV again. I don't have to name the names. You know the names. But we as God's people have to look to those Ten Commandments and go, this is how my Father wants me to live. This is what my Father wants for me. And we do everything we can to come back in line with those Ten. Because if we, if we treat each other the way the Ten Commandments say... Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't adulterize. Don't covet. Don't murder in our thoughts. Then, then we have the foundation for a society. We have the foundation for a church. We have the foundation for a community that cannot be deceived, cannot be broken by all the things that Satan would throw at us. Don't ever mistake it. When God's house is succeeding, when we are doing what we should be doing, and we're having the VBSs, and we're having the outreaches, Satan will come against the church. 
You know, we've been in, we've been in ministry a long time, my family and I, and we've seen Satan come at the church again and again to destroy it. Our job is to defend it, pray for it, love it, build it up. Amen. That's why the Ten Commandments are so important. They show us who we're supposed to be, but only through Christ can we be that. Amen. Let's pray.